Good morning, everybody. We're in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We are, uh, this summer, we're talking about prayer. And we're not talking about prayer just to talk about prayer. We're talking about prayer to help you have a vibrant, powerful prayer life. And so we're learning a, a lot about prayer. And starting last week, we just got like real, like we just got down to the first step, and today we're talking about the second step to begin to build a prayer life. And if you're here last week, we talked about uh, the foundation of prayer is Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That this whole idea of being still, slowing ourselves down enough to realize that I'm loved, to also realize how much I need that love, and to also realize how much that love is changing me is vitally important. And... Uh, for some of you, that has been such a relief. Oh, to be still. Get all the kids out of here. I just want peace and quiet. And you're just drawing deep breaths and you're, you're just made for that. Some of you, this is like living hell where you're like, oh no. And I am one of those people where when I get still, this is what happens and maybe you can relate. All my demons come out to play. And what I mean by that is when I quiet my mind, when I get still, when I take that deep breath and I'm just going to be still and know that you are God, you know, instead what I know is how much I'm anxious about everything in my life. That when I slow my mind down, I really don't want to go there because when I go there, I freak out. I mean, come on, seriously, because when I get there, I begin to realize how much worry is playing a role in my life. And it's just about everything. And what's crazy is, and maybe you have this experience, uh, have you ever had a headache all day long, but you didn't really realize that you had that headache until the end of the day? And like you realize, I've had a low-grade headache all day long, and now I'm just realizing it. Many of us live like that with worry, that we live with worry all the time. And the only time that we realize how big worry plays a role in our lives is when, let's be still and know that he is God. Well, I got still, and what I'm realizing is I'm kind of freaking out. I don't want to be quiet. In fact... Maybe you have this experience. You start to fear going to bed at night because you know as soon as you put your head on that pillow, everything's quiet now. And when everything gets quiet, you realize, I've got a lot of anxiety. I've got anxiety about things that happened that day or things that happened two days ago. Or for some of us, when we close our eyes and quiet our minds to try to go to sleep, we have anxiety about things that happened years ago. That's still are residing. It's almost like this is the tracksuit that we run in and we never take it off. But we also have anxiety about what's going on the next day. I close my eyes and I'm thinking about, okay, I got that meeting in the morning. And then after that, I got that meeting. And then after that, I got, I got to do that report. And after that, I got... And now we're already trying to live in the pressure of yesterday right there in the moment. I've got anxiety about things that, and this is going to sound crazy to you, I may be the only person in this room like this. I have anxiety about things that have never happened and are never going to happen. 
our dishwasher in our house, when it clicks on, it makes this very unique sound uh, that sounds exactly like somebody breaking in my back door. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I can sit there and go, okay, the dishwasher, boom. Okay, somebody's coming in to kill us. My mind can go down that road of thinking, well, what if somebody did come into our bedroom, you know? What would I do? Like, you know, would I use my ninja skills, you know? I don't know any martial arts. What would happen? I'd scream and push Renee in front of him or something. (laughs) And I'm laughing now, but is it possible to be thinking about that and now my body, the adrenaline is starting to pump and my body is emotionally reacting to a scenario that is never going to happen? Yeah. And I'll just throw this one last one out there for all of you anxious people like me. I have anxiety about expectations. I have anxiety about your expectations of me. I have anxiety about my expectations of you. I have anxieties about my expectations of complete strangers. Let me, yesterday, I was going through a four-way stop over here in 12 South, and I pulled up, and I was on the phone, so I was a little distracted, But I was confident that, you know how you kind of mentally keep track of whose turn it is on a four-way stop? And I was pretty confident it was my turn, even though I wasn't paying attention. So when I started to go, somebody else started to go. You ever been in that situation? And, you know, we're Southerners, and so we're kind of like, no, really, you. (laughs) But internally, I'm going, no, 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 you're out of turn. But I'm a preacher, so you go. (laughs) You go. And so... We both wait, and what do we do? We both start at the same time. And then we stop again, and then she did this to me. That was my interpretation. And I said, fine, I'll go. But I went really fast, you know, to kind of go, oh, I'll go. And as I'm driving away, I'm like, oh, Lord, that might have been one of you. Are you that person if you're here? Trust me, I'm a lot worse than it appears, all right? Isn't that crazy? I literally, I was thinking last night, what if that's somebody that goes to Midtown and they recognized me and now they're not going to go to Midtown anymore and I've interrupted their growth in the Lord because I couldn't be patient at a four-way stop. That the kingdom of heaven is going, what are we going to do? It's been undone all the years of work. Okay. So we're laughing about it because humor helps us get to something that we're uncomfortable about. I've been going to a PT uh, for some hip muscle stuff, and and this is what he did the first day. He goes, okay, get up here on the table. And then he pressed on my hip, and he goes, does that hurt? And I went, yes, that hurts. Good. I'm like, why is that good? He goes, turn over that way. Press again, does that hurt? Yes, that hurts. And he goes, oh, yeah, I knew that would hurt. Well, if you knew that would hurt, why did you do that? We got to get to the pain so that we can get to the healing. So I'm going to tell you straight now, be still and know that he is God. And when you get still, it's going to be hard. And you're going to want to avoid it because it's painful. Don't. Don't. This is the gift God's giving you. The pain that you're feeling, the anxiety that that you want to be gone is actually a gift from the Lord to help you get where he wants you to be. Are you with me? So it's really simple that what we're going to do today is we're we're going to talk about if you'll receive this as a gift, three things. This is what we're going to do with that. First, for me to deal with this, I have to realize I have nothing. I bring nothing to the table. He brings it all. Second is the only thing I need to learn how to be is a receiver. That's what faith is. I'm a receiver. And then finally, 
uh, to be a rejoicer. Because when I rejoice, it, it actually gets me up from this seat now and moves me. And I was made to move. I wasn't made to be still and know that he's God my whole life. Being still prepares me to move. Okay, you ready? No, we're almost out of time. <laughs> I, let me try to explain this. This is, uh, if you'll take a second, let's, let's do a little detour here before we get to Matthew 18. In Philippians chapter 4, there's a familiar passage there about prayer. It says, rejoice in the Lord. Always I'll say it again, rejoice. Have you ever heard of this? You know, worry about nothing but in everything through prayer and petition, make your request known. Y'all heard this? I'm going to read it in just a second. What you probably have not read is the verses before this. Paul is writing from prison in Rome to this church in uh, Philippi and to the church in Philippi. And so he's telling them how much he loves them and, you know, he's giving them truth and encouraging them. Then he drops this little nugget at the end of the book. I plead with Eodia and I plead with Seneca to be of the same mind in the Lord. Okay, let me translate that for you. There were two very prominent, powerful, godly women in the church that were at war with one another. And they were at war with one another to where Paul didn't have to explain the situation. They all knew what was going on. And he was in prison in Rome and heard what was going on. Like, that's how big this issue was. This is a biggie, and it's not resolved. And then look what he says. Yes, and I ask you, my true companions, help these women. Once again, let me translate for you. They're in serious conflict. Get in the middle of it. What? Don't ignore it. Don't walk around it. Don't avoid it. Don't pretend that it doesn't exist. Call it out in the middle of the room and you get in the middle of it. Would that create anxiety in your life? <laughs> With that said, he goes, rejoice. You're like, what are you talking about, Paul? You just asked me to get in the middle of a fight. Rejoice. And rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. What? Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. What context we have now. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious even though this is an anxious endeavor, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And lo and behold, what happens? The peace of God that transcends all your understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's where we're going. Because we're not the people that go look for peace. We're the people that have found peace and we take peace to a world that's in anxiety. Okay? How do we do that? Matthew 18. Let's go. So this is <clears throat> a really interesting passage of Scripture that, uh, that i got to tell you, I've heard it many times because it's my job to read the Bible. It is kind of funny how, you know, the Lord takes the most unqualified and makes them pastors. He does. It's to display his grace and his goodness. He's like, we're, we're so bad at this, we have to get paid to do it. Like you are here because you volunteered to be here. I get paid to be here. And that's what the Lord did in heaven. He's like, ah, Randy, I don't know if he's going to make it. We better pay him to do this, all right? 
How much can we get for him to pray? Like, I, honestly, you laugh, but it's true. So the disciples came to Jesus. And let me tell you what's going on. They'd just been in the Mount Transfiguration. If you don't know what that is, Jesus took them out to the wilderness into this mountain and he transcended. God lifted him up and he met with Moses and Elijah. Like, Moses and Elijah, like, imagine these apostles are watching this experience where the light is illuminating and God is there and he's meeting with the patriarchs of our faith. And then when they uh, ascended into heaven and Jesus came down in the light, then they heard the voice of God speak to them, this is my son, listen to him. These disciples were like, boy, whatever we thought this was till now, it's so much bigger. Like, Jesus, now we realize in all your glory who you are and this is going to be big. You're going to be big. What does that mean for us? Listen to what they ask. Verse 18, at the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, hey, we want to be great. We want to be great. And we want to know, one, how do we ascend that ladder? Or have we already ascended that ladder? Are we great? He called a child to him and he placed the child among him. And he said, truly, I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Okay. I learned in the first service we're going to run out of time. So let's think about this for a minute. What does that mean when Jesus says, unless you become like a child? He doesn't explain it. Like, does that mean, you know, like, unless, like, you become kind, because children are kind, right? They're kind of kind, or, or yeah, your mom, all the moms just went, shh. <laughs> Amen. Maybe innocent, you know? Uh, I mean, kids have short memories. Like, you know, they, they can throw rocks at each other one second and hug the next. Like, I don't know, you know? Does it mean that they're, they're sweet and cuddly? And I think if we ask any of the moms in this room as they just gave testimony, that may not necessarily be true. And also, have you, any of y'all ever been to Disney? Some of those kids aren't getting into the kingdom. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> There's a possession problem, I think. Okay, so Jesus, I believe, and I'm going to try to back this up with Scripture, I believe what he's calling us to, remember, we're talking about prayer. Be still and know that I'm God. I get here and I realize, ah, that's where it hurts. It's hard to be here. Uh, And the Lord is saying, great, be like a child. And here's how a child lives. One, a child has nothing and they are completely dependent on the father. Two, a child, all they can do is receive. They have nothing to give. Uh, And that's our journey in faith. And three, there's nobody on the planet that's as magical and wonderful when they're caught up in wonder than children. So we have nothing. We are receivers, and we are, we are hungry for wonder. Okay, ready? Here we go. Kids really do have nothing. I mean, think about it honestly. If we went down there into kid town, none of those kids have any money. I mean, it's sad. <laughs> Most of them are broke. Just dead broke. And, you know, and very few of them have accomplishments they can brag about. Very few have achievements. Very few have degrees. I bet you none of them have a degree. I, if I got down there, I would discover that almost all those kids down there 
don't know how to read. And if they do know how to read, it's probably on a first grade level. Like, it's sad. They can't do simple math. They have no experiences. They have no jobs. Like, and what's great is they can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. There are many a mom this morning that responsible for clothing and feeding those kids. If it wasn't for parents, those kids would go hungry and they'd show up at church naked. Let's just be honest. But they wouldn't show up at all because they can't use the Uber apps because they don't really, they like phones, but they don't know really how to use. And we laugh about that, but they have nothing. I remember when my son gave me this speech. Hey, dad, I'd really appreciate it. Next time you come into my room that you would knock on my door. <laughs> so you have nothing. You own nothing. You are the poorest person in our neighborhood. That is my door. This is my room. This is my house. They have nothing. And that's hard for us. It's so hard for us that you're spending most of your life being something. You're dedicating so much of your time, your effort, your life to being something, having something, accomplishing something, being something. That when I meet you, I'm meeting something. Because we're so conditioned that way that we got to get out and do something. In fact, we're so conditioned that it really is up to me that when anxiety hits and I'm not in the spirit and I'm not being led by the Lord, here's the first thing that comes out of my mouth. What am I going to do? Who says that? Unless somebody thinks I have resources to handle it, I have strength to endure it, and I know where to go to get what I need to handle this problem. But if you're a child, you don't go, what am I going to do with this? You go, I have no idea what to do. Daddy! That is so hard for us. And Jesus is calling us into that place of total, 100% complete dependency upon him. Whew. That's tough. But let me read for you. This is Romans chapter 3. And Paul is talking about a righteousness that we need to be in the family of God. And he said, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Meaning there was an idea of righteousness that the law was if you do something good, you get good. If you do something bad, you get bad. And if you're really good at keeping the law, then you're going to be really good. And if you're really bad at keeping the law, you're going to be really bad. It was this scale system. And it was a righteousness based on how good you were. And now Paul is saying that scale is gone. It's no more. It says the righteousness that we have is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we're looking at the scales, nobody's good enough to have a righteousness by the law. We've all failed that. And grossly we failed that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified just as if I'd never sinned, freely, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Where then is boasting? Where are you going to boast? What Paul is saying is the very beginning of this journey of coming into the kingdom of God is you bring nothing to the equation, zero, nothing. It's not Jesus plus your good works. No, it's not Jesus plus you going to church. 
No, it's not Jesus and you learning how to pray. No, it's not, it's not even Jesus and you giving money to the church. Are you kidding me? Jesus does not want your money. Oh, wait, wait. Let me back that up a little bit, all right? Because remember, I do this for a living, so you better pay me, all right? That's all I'm saying. No. Do you think Jesus is in heaven, like saying to the angels, man, dang, I tell you, if we could just get those guys at Midtown just to give 1% more. I know we put 10 on them, but maybe 11. Look what we could do. No, Jesus isn't doing that. In fact, everything you have, he gave to you. They're all his anyway, and he's lending it to you. Giving isn't about me earning something with Jesus. Giving is about me being given something by Jesus, and I want to experience him more deeply. It's Jesus' work alone, Jesus plus nothing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And that is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Even the faith you need to receive the gift of eternal life. He said, I gave you faith. Now use that faith that I gave you to receive the other gift that I'm giving you, which is salvation. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, here we go. We got to go now. Okay, I'm going to run out of time. So the first thing that I realize when I'm in this place of anxiety, I'm being still before the Lord, you know, is, oh, I got nothing except him. Oh, and he's got me. I'm completely dependent. I'm throwing myself in the arms of the one who has it all. That's, that's really, really, really important. Okay? The second thing is this, is that we continue that now to become receivers. In Colossians 2, verse 6 through 7, it says, So then, just as you receive Christ, and how do you receive Christ? Through faith by grace. No works whatsoever. He did it all. In just the same way that you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In the same way you came to know him, now live. And what does that mean? By faith. Jesus, you gave me salvation by faith. More, please. More, 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 more. That's what faith is. Lord, I'm dependent upon you to give. And isn't that childlike? I mean, who in here had to teach your kids how to receive gifts? Nobody. Like, I had to teach my kids how to share. Like, that didn't come natural. Like, you know, I had to teach them not to hit their brothers and sisters, you know, with their toys. That seemed didn't come natural. But receiving, boy, that was as natural as rain. It was like, I'll, yes. And here's what's crazy. At Christmas, even when they were little, little kids, when we would give them a gift, the intoxication of receiving a gift was so intoxicating, they didn't even care what was in it. A box could have been in a box, and that would have been okay. And then it would have been discarded for the next one. Because receiving then became, I want more, I want more and more. What if that's the Christian life? What if we have a zeal by faith to receive all the gifts of God? So now I'm anxious, I'm worried. God, there's nothing I can do about it. You're the one. I'm dependent upon you. 
and I'm here to receive now. I'm here to receive. And when you get there, the third is so important. Because this is what unlocks the key in our prayer life. So when we were camping um, back in May up in the Smoky Mountains, I don't know if any of you like to camp. Um, one of my favorite things to do is uh, to sit around a campfire with good friends um, with no place to go, nothing to do, but just sit there and stare into the fire and tell the stories that you've told your friends a hundred times and laugh with them as if they're hearing it for the very first time. You ever done that? Like, and you don't want to interrupt your friend when you go, yeah, you told me that, that uh, story and that joke last year. No, I want to hear them again. But something happens when you're sitting around the fire and you're staring into the fire that your eyes adjust to the fire and outside the ring of the fire is complete darkness. Like you, you can't see really. If you turn around, you just can't, you're blind. But once you get up from the fire and you walk away and you let your eyes adjust, uh, then you can begin to see. And so we were in this valley right next to a river surrounded by all these mountains, the Smoky Mountains. And I walked away from the fire and I was going over to my tent and my eyes had finally adjusted and I looked up and the mountains, um, it was like someone had strung flashing Christmas lights all over the mountains. I'm like, what is going on? And I realized that it it was millions upon millions of fireflies that were lighting up the mountains. And I said, oh, that's cute. Went back to the fire. No, not at all. What I did was I stopped in wonder and amazement. I can't believe I'm here, and I can't believe I'm witnessing that. And I can't believe that it's touching my soul so deeply that I'm telling you about it. Because I can't believe how, as I grow up, how far from wonder I get. How, how I trade in getting through the day anxiety for the wonder of life. And when I realized that rejoicing, when Paul says rejoice, I'll say it again. I'll even say it again. Rejoice. Rejoy is actually awakening that part inside of us that we were made for wonder. You were made for it. It's what worship is. We're in awe. I can't keep my mouth shut. I'm like, oh. Like, we were made for that. But as we get older and we think it's up to us and we don't have any hands to receive anything that God wants to give us, the wonder is out the window. Because the wonder is, I just want to get through the day and we got everybody safe and I just want to go to bed and go to sleep so I can wake up and be miserable tomorrow. And then I'll get through tomorrow and I'll tell you what, I'll be great when we get our kids through school and we get them off to college and we get through paying for college. Then I'll take time to be in wonder. Oh, why? Jesus is saying, hey guys, you're never going to want to be still and know that I'm God and experience the pain of that unless you know what to do with that pain. And that pain is what, it, it's what brings us now into a place of, Lord, I have, nothing, I have nothing to deal with this. Lord, my hands are open. I'm ready to receive. 
awaken me to wonder. I love uh, G.K. Chesterton, pastor from years ago. He put it this way. It's possible to say, or is it possible to say, when he talks about God and wonder, that when children say, do it again, they seem to never get bored with what you want. You pick them up, do it again. You throw them across the pool, do it again. You know, or you do a magic trick. I got this stupid little magic trick that I do for my grandkids. And I fool them because their kids are easy to fool. It's crazy. And, but they all go, do it again, do it again, do it again. I could do it all day long. And then they would say, do it again. GK, is it possible that God says every morning, do it again? He says it to the sun and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be an automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and we have grown old, and our father is younger than we. Is that possible? All right. So when we lived in Virginia, uh, well, let me tell you, when we lived in Bellevue, uh, we would take the old Natchez Trace, not the Natchez Trace, but the old Natchez Trace home every day. It runs along the Little Harpeth River, and there is a rope swing on the old Natchez Trace. Has anybody been there? I see three, four. Have anybody gone off the rope swing? Okay, I know my daughter has, because when, when we stop, I, everybody, Duh, let's stop the car, let's do the rope swing, because that's what kids do, all right? Not adults. I've never seen a group of 50-year-olds pull over and start going off the rope swing. <laughs> never. Maybe it's happened. I don't know. There's always a group of teenagers there. So when we pull up, I'm like, God, dudes, I don't know what y'all are doing. If you're doing that crazy drug stuff, step away. <laughs> now, they're always great, great. And I'm like, guys, give us space and let us do it. And here's, here's every rope swing is like this. You swing out, you know, and you get back to shore. And you're like, oh, I think the water's really cold. I don't know if I want to drop. And you're like, well, wow, that's great. That was not very adventuresome at all. Swing and go. Because when you let go, I got to tell you, you maybe have experienced I have never in my life experienced someone swing out completely dry, you know, and finally let go and take a deep breath and hit the water and come up and go, I will never do that again. <laughs> I've never seen it. They always come up with a big grin on their face. Why? Anxiety. Jesus says that worry is going to choke out your faith. He says worry, if you don't address it, is going to choke out the very purpose for which he made you. In the parable of the sower and the seed, he said some seed will never grow into the design that God made them. Because worry, the worry of this world has choked you out. And the Lord says, when you find worry, rejoice. Jesus, Father, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm ready. And as we rejoice, we let go of the rope and splash into what? The peace of God that, transform, that transcends our understanding that guards our hearts and our minds. Because something happens. When we do that, we hear our fathers rejoicing over us. Father, we stop now to pray. 
And Lord, I just pause to give my friends a chance to speak in their hearts where their anxiety is. Where being still right now has even brought up their worry. Things from the past that haunt the house of their heart. Things in the present that seem unresolved. Things in the future that may never come to pass. We confess you, Father, we're not enough. We've got nothing. We are like children. And we come to you with open hands and ask by faith that, Lord, you would meet us in this place and to help us rejoice. This place of pain is the great opportunity for us to let go of the rope of our fears and to cannonball into your peace that even transcends our own understanding. Would you give us that right now? Would you flood this room with a peace that would guard our hearts, our affections, our love, our emotions, and our mind? And if even just for a moment, Lord, just for a moment today, that we would know your peace and receive it freely like your kids. In Christ's name we pray.